<laughs> I got the corona. No, I really don't, guys. Okay. It's the first episode of season two. We talk a lot about West Side Story, a lot about Masters of the Universe, the uh, canon film from the mid-80s, directed by noted Me Too child pedophile. Um, well, this took a weird turn. Maybe I shouldn't start with the child pedophile. Uh, let's start with Steven Webber and Wings. where we will be going through every single episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. If you're just joining us, because sure, why are you? Well, you could just be joining us. You can drop in on the second season. Yeah, of our second season discussion of the greatest TV show in any existing universe. <laughs> <laughs> Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Yeah, today we're talking about the first episode of season two called The Homecoming. The Homecoming. Yes. Yes, we're, we're setting up a lot of stuff with this one, right? Oh, we are. Yeah, yeah. no, yeah, this is a, it's a good change of pace. Up. I mean, this is a, yeah. this, uh, right off the bat. I ain't wasting no yeah, time. Yeah, do we have the description? Oh, I like... was waiting for you to introduce us. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm a jerk. I just assumed everybody knows who we are. <laughs> no, that's all right. <laughs> um, as always, my name is Wade Bowen. With me is James Nolan. Hey, guys. And also Hugh Crawford. Here I am, and I've got the description. <laughs> this episode is called Homecoming, or The Homecoming, rather. It aired on September 26, 1993, and IMDb description is as follows. Word that I previously thought dead Bajoran resistance legend is still alive since Kira and Chief O'Brien took Cardassia 4 to rescue him. Meanwhile, the Circle, a sect of Bajoran provisional government that is intent on wiping out alien influence, is sneaking into power. Wow. How relevant is that today? We've got yeah. we've got some yeah. folks that who are Bajorans for Bajor. <laughs> right. I was gonna say make, make Bajor great again. Make Bajor great again. <laughs> yes. They're trying to build a space wall to get rid of all aliens <laughs> yeah so this is a pretty good episode right guys and uh, it's a good way to start season two. Oh yeah yeah no i i thought this was a pretty great episode yeah i did too like the first time i watched it i was like meh and then i watched it a couple more times like wait a minute no this this is actually this is pretty good it's setting up a lot of major themes that you get over and over again throughout this whole series and we're you know we've complained a lot about okay They've been doing Star Trek episodes. They need to do DS9 episodes. And they're like, all right, we're, we're going to go full DS9 mm. version of Star Trek where we're here on this stationary place talking about this particular planet, Bajor, and its political difficulties with the Cardassians. And that's all this is, really. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, no, no. That's, this is that's it, that's all it is with a sprinkle of how xenophobia can hurt Jake's love life. 
Yeah. Right. <laughs> but even that's tied into. I actually wrote that because of the edict of how the 24th century works, it's hard to sort of deal like usually on most shows when you have black families, obviously, uh, you know, American racism is going to come up in that storyline, but it really can't in a Star Trek episode. So it's nice that you have this black family at the centerpiece of dealing with these sort of issues so that, like, I don't know, I thought that was a nice touch that he's experiencing some form of racism or speciesism. Yeah, that is a good touch because, you know, effectively, them being, you know, I didn't even think of it like that because them being black means nothing. They're just humans of Starfleet because yeah exactly in the show in their in their world it doesn't carry any weight yeah because luckily people got over that <laughs> shit <laughs> like in, in several centuries they're like what oh that somebody would be mad because you're a slightly darker you know of you know they'll they'll understand if you hate Ferengis right. yeah now, exactly they're not, they're, they're not opposed a little bit of speciesism but as far as race you know and i will tease that this show does use uh, american racism as a metaphor much later on in the series to a great great effect in season six but still here it's nice to get little touches of that yeah it was so funny because jake's little scene where he he is bummed out because his date canceled on him because somehow her father's been influenced by the make beige or great again people (laughs) it takes place right after the same people have branded quark on the forehead yes and there's a lot (laughs) yeah they drew a dick on his head (laughs) and there's a lot more sympathy for jake and his broken date than quark being branded on the face getting actually accosted yes. right right yeah but let's go back to the beginning and just work through this because i got okay I, sure while we're on the brand in the new batman versus superman movie batman brands his victims in that movie so <laughs> i think oh yeah well people have already seen that movie by the time they're listening to this exactly sure. that's true but he brands his victims with so much like the circle luckily you just avoided it altogether and and didn't give Zack Snyder any money, but yeah. Yes. Okay, so let's start at the beginning. So yeah, the beginning, there's so much packed into this. They spend time, go through the trouble of like, okay, we're going to have the act breaks and stuff, but then they have like, oh, but then we have the, you know, two-minute pre credit scene mm-hmm. with Cork where we set things into motion. Yeah, which is kind of a strange scene. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. a sub yeah, freighter. There was, well, it was the strange scene before where it was, it deals with Quark turning in a crooked... Freighter or something? Yeah, a subite freighter. It turns him into Odo and it led to arrests. And Odo was trying to figure out why would he do this. And like it never really, it seems like that was a loaded scene. I liked it. Yeah, well, that could have been like an episode. Yeah, well, it's because of the 76th, the 76th rule of acquisition. Is, yes. Well, they're just trying to, this is the beginning of mm-hmm. the second season. They're resetting. Okay, let's reset after the first season and just establish all the characters' relationships to each other. Yeah, that is that is true, yeah. Okay, we know Quark and Odo are at odds, so we come in and then we show that Odo is like, what? And then, and then it just shows the devious nature of Quark, where he's like, yeah, I know how to screw with people. And even Nog is like, oh, I don't understand, Quark. Why would you do that? <laughs> and Quark is, you know, like, oh, it's easy. It's because it's the 76th rule of acquisition is every now and then declare peace because it confuses the hell out of your enemies. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know what? To keep your people off your toes. I buy that he would just try to do that just to yeah, no. throw a wrench and no it was the kind of thing i like where it was like two people are talking about something that could have been a whole episode but it's not you know so it it makes the world seem more textured and like that they're not just there to 
put on a little stage play for us. Right, yeah. Because if they'd made that a whole episode, it would have been like they would have had all this tension with <laughs> yes. the semi freighter, and then it would have been like, ain't I a rascal? <laughs> wink. Credits. <laughs> you know, when he was like, I did it to be nice. Like, what? Okay, thank God they just did it in the five minute open pre credit sequence. Yeah, just talk about it. Yeah. Uh, I found that the the purple freighter who gives him the Lee Malice's earring, I found her oddly attractive for a, a, a weird face. Thing. I think she was supposed to be. Yeah, I think she's a multiple. She she is a reoccurring character. She's on multiple episodes coming forth. Right. She was clearly meant to be a sexy alien because yeah. they gave her a sleek head thing. But and... they mess with her face. Usually they don't face her. Usually when they want someone to be sexy, they don't do much with the face. But they did with her. But it was it was OK. Right. Well, they gave her a Klingon brow ridge, but instead of like an ugly clean on it's very smooth and just has an arrow pointing down <laughs> you know like a party down here are we talking about the woman with the fuchsia hair yes yes okay yeah she looked like she was wearing the, the kind of plastic garbage bags were made out of too yes <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, she did. She had a very tight Yeah, there's outfit. some weird 90s person in the vintage. I don't know. There's probably weird pornos with those kind of. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, and then uh, we have a scene where, well, I guess that just the, like that it's got this. She gives Quark this strange earring, which then he takes to Kira while she's in the middle of praying, which is the first time you see it. Uh, yeah. Well, when it <laughs> first shows her, it looks like she's doing the Pledge of Allegiance. She's got one hand up. Yeah. yeah. And then the camera peg back and then she's putting up hands up don't shoot that's exactly what i thought because i'm from st louis so that was like the first thing i was like she's protesting like, we do that all the time around here. yeah at first it's like oh she's salute the flag oh no she's not that's what's so weird about the star trek universe though anytime you ring somebody's doorbell you're you're supposed to like let them in no matter who they are that's what it is but she ends up being awfully rude to like get him out but i was like you didn't have to fucking let him in did you right well and then she storms out and just leaves him in her apartment yeah <laughs> <laughs> that whole scene could have been reworked a little bit better. She's, ha- she's changed out of her unflattering outfit from Progress. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she was wearing the lacy-topped Bajoran outfit. And then she conveniently goes into her bedroom, conveniently, to put the jacket back on because... It's a whole costume change, I'm pretty sure, to do that. <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> you never see her take that jacket off and have the other thing underneath it because I don't think it's possible. Yeah, I think yeah, I think you're right there. So you don't know. Obviously, the, the earring has some sort of effect on her. And she runs to... Uh, yeah, she leaves Quark to go through her, her underwear drawer, so it must be something. <laughs> something be important. Yeah, so she runs to Cisco, <laughs> yeah. who's uh, having a conversation with his son about Cardinal's great Bob Gibson. Which... Oh, yeah. They can throw in an actual player instead of uh, Buck Bakai. Yes. I always like it when Bob Gibson gets mentioned on TV. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, uh, like they're talking about girls, and it's I really like that scene. So I just like that whole scene between uh, Cisco and his son, and even Jake has a funny line. I could see you're not ready to have this conversation. Yeah, that was some good stuff. Yeah, it's Cisco's being cute and quirky, and yeah, I like that they're not. He's not sexist. It's not like he has a daughter, and he's like, oh my god, you can't go to the Hollow Suite. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, oh, I'm, I could take her to the Hollow Suite, and he's no, like, no, 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 no. no. But, you know. Yeah, I like that. He clearly knows what goes on in the Hollow Suite. Yeah. Yeah. And then right. he goes, well, yeah, can yeah. I just take him to our to our room? And he's like, he goes, no. And my first thought was, no, I hang around in my underwear there. You know, because <laughs> you're dead. <laughs> you're not fucking my night up, too. Right. <laughs> so he has really boring ideas for dates. It's, it was a great little scene. Nice. And the whole time, Kira is there like an annoying child trying to get Cisco's <laughs> attention. And, and the whole time I'm just like, can you not see this is like, an, I know this is probably not as important as the earring, but can you not see that this is like a pivotal 
transformative conversation with his child. Well, and that's what the scene she asks to borrow the car. So he's like essentially being space dad <laughs> to everybody yes, for right. the first half of this. Yeah. She's got a planet to save. Right. But yeah, she needs to ask dad for the keys. Right. Yeah. And then all the rest of the kids are gossiping behind her head's back. Now, now I, I wanted to ask you guys real quick. Uh, when the question of does he allow her to have the roundabout comes up, do you think that Cisco he was going to give her the round? He knew he was going to give it to her. He just needed to think about how he was going to make it work with Starfleet. Or do you think he actually had to mull over the because he needs? I think he wanted to say yes, but I think he has like I gotta think through. There's a lot of like I could get fired. We could start a war. You know, like I gotta like. I got to think about it. Right. And just sort of step away and chew on it. I think he wanted to say yes. I don't think he knew he was going to say yes. Okay. Right. That's kind of what I was wa- that's what I was wondering too. Yeah. I had the feeling that he he just needed to figure out a way to make it fit. Mm-hmm. To make it work. You know, and then later he has that story. He tells O'Brien, well, if Quark wants to know where she's going, She's going to go on some sort of yeah. mining expedition. And he sticks O'Brien on there. He's more comfortable with the Federation guy there. Right. Oh, yeah. He shows up in his Adidas jumpsuit. <laughs> no, I, was, yeah. I have things about, when we get to that section, I have things about, like, all about their, their outfits that I don't understand. Right. But first he has to order a rectochino with a Jatorian peel, which is the only Ciscoism we get in this whole thing, I feel like, where he does the pitch raise but whatever oh yeah he does he has those little flourishes yeah i'm a big fan of that and i know wade (laughs) hates it (laughs) i think it's fine i think it's not the most naturalistic acting but that's not what avery brooks does no i think that i got what it is what he's trying to convey is that he's trying to convey in a lot of these different moments that cisco has a childlike spirit later on when he's talking to goldicott and goldicott (laughs) delivers like sort of a message that is uh not what anybody was expecting that he found the whole thing so compelling and interesting that he couldn't help but be kind of giddy about it like a child Mm -hmm. and so you see a look on his face like he's just grinning and smiling at how while strange what goldicott has to say back to him and that's in the later scene but there's it's a way that I think he's trying to convey that Cisco approaches these sort of these complicated minutia of of this political interplay with like a sort of a giddiness that he just kind of enjoys. It gives him another dimension. I think you're right. It does. It, yeah. I mean, it, more than what's on the page. It's a way to make him seem engaged in a different way than Picard or Shatner. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, it's good. I've, I've come, You've to, come to have you know, a, a begrudging appreciation. Yeah, because, I mean, he plays everything as very, um, I don't know, he has a way of doing It's very stagey, kind of, like, I'm 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 being, I think I'm doing Shakespeare, yeah. so I'm talking in a kind of more eloquent manner. He is an enunciator. <laughs> but, you know, it, it actually, it works fine for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what were you going to say about there was a nice scene, I think you were going to say, with Dax? Yeah, we actually get to see her be used as a character mm-hmm. for just five minutes. Oh, yeah, yeah. She facilitates facilitated a need quite nicely cisco wasn't sure what to do and so he was going to go to need to go to somebody and of course dax was really no help but still it was nice that she got to see yeah yeah and well she and she came with a point of view that he wasn't and she had a bias that he wasn't anticipating her having right 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 i do like that they're at a point in their conver- in their relationship with jadzia and cisco that she can tell him that she doesn't want to talk about baseball anymore i felt like that yeah was- yeah i like that too it's like oh curzon didn't even like it as much as yeah, he pretended but to i really hate it. it so yeah they used her better you know they set her up they tried to set her up for last season as this wise old man and she just wasn't able to pull 
pull it off. But then this time, you know, this is the relationship they wanted to set up for her. Yeah. Where he's an old friend of Dax's and he relies on her advice. And he, here he does. And she gives good advice. And it's not totally weird and awfully delivered. <laughs> like, you know, things may have been in the past. And yeah. So, you know, it works. So, it's okay. It's like, good job. Yeah, I think we're clicking r- right along with a lot of improvements. Right yeah, off the yeah. Bat this... Like the first 10 minutes. It's a, there's a marked improvement in this in this episode. Yeah. With the tone of what it's like on the station with this particular, like this crew works in shades of gray as a unit. Mm-hmm. You know, they do a, a very poor job of keeping secrets from each other, which is it's nice to see some sort of commentary on how they work as a team. Yeah. Yeah. Teams. Teams aren't. That's one of the good things about good working teams is that they're not very military. Well, I guess what we're just saying is that it showed a, a different side of the crew that we had that we should, probably should have seen. And they probably should have showed this this in the first, you know, three or four episodes of season one. It's almost like a do over. Yeah, they would have liked to have been able to do that. You know, they were still figuring it out. I, I guess I'll cut them some slack. I'm glad that they had the opportunity to take the time to do it because, you know, they have to figure out the characters. Right. I mean, it's a, it is like a, a do over where you don't have to do the plot points over again. But all of the stuff that wasn't working, the character interactions, all of that stuff, even to the point where like, I mean, you get the the guest actors are high level in this episode. Frank Langella. And, oh, my God. Oh yeah. Frank Langella. Yeah. Frank Langella and Richard Brayer oh, are huge. Jack Bramer. I think he was the lead in West West Side Story. Oh, yeah. You get like huge actors that are doing these sort of supporting parts that are really good. Yeah. I mean, if this was. I would be fine telling someone that I do a podcast on Deep Space Nine, go watch a first episode of season two. Like if they didn't have to deal with the plot issues, this would be a great sort of jumping mm-hmm. off point for a good show. This is the show, a baseline that you could say, yeah, this is a baseline you can work a good show off. of. So and I actually felt like when we move along in the episode that once she gets around the, the is it the runabout or roundabout? I can never the runabout runabout. I've called yeah. it both. It's, it's well, the but runabout. It's, it's runabout. Yes. But once she gets it. They go to Cardassia 4, mm-hmm. and yeah, some Bajorans are being held there against their will. Oops. It's right. And against the accords of the the, the, the peace treaty. Right, right. The, yeah, the Bajoran peace accords and everything. They're, the, yeah. action, the action, they, the way it was filmed was kind of serviceable, mm-hmm. like more than had been done with some of the stuff that we saw like in The Next Generation. Yeah. I feel like they're moving... It looks more contemporary, I guess, than Star Trek. Yeah, well, they say, okay, we're going to take a runabout. They, I don't know if they had this last season. They show footage of them taking and leaving the dock and flying out to go to Cardassia yeah. for. Whereas before, they'd be like, Odo, take a runabout, and then it's like, all right, I'm on the other planet. Yeah. I actually looked to see if there was if I could get some sort of sense of an operating budget season one to season two. And I couldn't find anything. But clearly, it seems that their baseline budget is just better. Yeah. And that may be because they've already built sets and all of that stuff and all that sort of initial startup costs have already been absorbed for the season two budget. But I mean, it just looks like I mean, that whole quarry scene, they even got to pay some. uh, They had some props, some big props out there in the labor camp. You got your classic Star Trek rock exterior shot. But, you know, it works fine for a labor <laughs> yes. camp. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I don't know how much a labor... Does a labor camp make sense in a world where there's all this mechanized sort of... I don't know. It just seems like even for Cardassians, it would be quicker just to have, like, some sort of space machine go out there and yeah, it, grind up the rocks. It, yeah, I mean, I when <laughs> one of my viewings here, I had, I had some definite questions about post-scarcity economy of all these different... <laughs> 
you know, civilizations. It's like, wait a minute, but you know what? I, I don't remember well enough. It's just a little bit confusing. Other than that, Cardassians are dicks and they basically run gulags, which is what this is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they want to torture the people. I get you want to torture people. I get that. <laughs> sure. Yeah. You understand. What's weird about this particular labor camp is that it was for 12 people. Yeah. We've got exactly. a whole operation for 12 people and they're not even like the, I mean, we have one folk hero here and i can understand wanting to keep him under your thumb yeah because that's what you do when you're an evil regime uh-huh. but there what about the 11 just random yeah schmoes that you that you've got there and also and i assume maybe there's cardassians at the labor criminal cardassians at the labor camp too i no, i think it was just a 12 person labor camp of bajorans but you have like 14 there was 12 bajorans but you had like 14 cardassians like how do you afford to keep this thing operating <laughs> that's what i mean it was, yeah, that's like, what was absurd is we're gonna, we're gonna have a labor camp for 12 people yes yeah like i say that it's not really about the labor of them putting rocks into woven baskets or yeah but that's 14 paychecks and pensions that have to go out to Cardassian soldiers. It's, it's 14 people. It's 12 people who knew that Lee Nallis was there. So you either got to kill them, which you don't want that getting out. That you're, That's what you're doing to prisoners. That's true. Or you got to keep them there so they don't go and start throwing earrings around and getting the Bajorans to come pick them up. If you didn't, if you had 12 prisoners that could instigate a war you don't want to fight, which Cardassians clearly don't want to fight it. It'd be easier. It'd be better to kill these people well, than to have hey, someone fight may, Maybe Gold Dukat, when he's like, I'm so sorry, was being honest that it is something that slipped through the cracks. And they're like, oh, my God, we don't want a war. That's true. It's well, over. And that's the thing is that that's never clear. That's the interesting thing about it. They don't. Yeah. Yeah. I agree that that's interesting. I agree that like there's a there's a, all this gray area that you or, or just unknowns that you don't really know. But one thing about the scene at the beginning, Kira sneaks into the camp. She gets through the energy wall oh, by, yeah, yeah. by dressing in a way that's implied that she's a prostitute. Right. And what, is, what does O'Brien say to her? Oh, and I guess Bajoran prostitutes are mouthy. Bajoran prostitutes are mouthy and tough. I guess that's a thing. Right. And she was pretending like she was a prostitute. And they said that she was like, I guess, dressed like a prostitute. But to me, she was kind of just dressed like Kira. Yeah. Like, <laughs> there was no like more to her. Well, the whole thing, like, you know, if you you were at a slave camp you're gonna have because o'brien says to her like oh i don't know that any cardassian would be able to resist you okay so that's weird because <laughs> that's weird cardassians are pretty ugly and do they not find cardassian women attractive because she does not look like a cardassian but it almost sets up like there's a bajoran idea of bajoran is also kind of uh, uncomfortable, but like Bajoran comfort women or something, you know, like Japanese did with the Koreans. Exactly, like a joy division. Huh? Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that there was like Bajoran joy divisions, yeah, yeah. like, you know, like what they had in, in Germany and stuff. Yeah, that's some dark stuff that they don't want to unpack too much, but yeah. some like night porter shit was going on there. Yeah, I guess there's a there's a, a stereotype among Cardassians about hot Bajoran women, apparently, that she plays into. Okay. <laughs> James made a good point, though, about what she was wearing. And she looked like she was going to go build a kiln. That's what she looked like. She was wearing her kiln building outfit. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yes. Right. She looked like Kira. She didn't look like she was particular. She didn't put on a different, co- a differentiating right. costume. Well, then, then she goes to show the guy the goods and she had buttons, two buttons of her shirt. <laughs> like, oh, this yes. you know sexy outfit which is just like work clothes <laughs> yeah and uh, that i didn't even know had two buttons done do and she does that and then she 
you know, beats the guy up. Yes. I get where they were going. I would have, that had execution scenes. That had to be rethought, I think. Uh, <laughs> but that was fine. It was a minor point. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was fine. So we finally meet Lee Nallis. We finally meet Lee Nallis. So we finally have like a pretty big time actor with Richard Bamer. He was the lead in West Side Story. He was also great in Twin Peaks. Oh, yeah. He was uh, one of the main sort of suspi- suspicious characters in Twin Peaks. So I, I really like this actor. Not as much as I mm-hmm. like Frank Langella, but I really love this actor. Sure, sure. So uh, that was fun to see him working. I guess this was right after Twin Peaks probably fizzled. No, not that long, yeah. I guess. You know, he's Lee Nellis, so he's the main character of this story arc. Yeah, they get him back to Deep Space Nine, and he's a big hero. And Kira almost starts a war with Cardassia, finds out that the Cardassians <laughs> right, because- don't want to go to a war, and they apologize for having a 12-person labor camp. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, immediately, Goldicott's apologizing, like as soon as they right. get back. And, so. and, and Cisco looks like the cat who ate the canary. He's pretty pleased <laughs> that everything worked out. You know, he got his roundabout back. No <laughs> interstellar like, political incident, and they've got their they've got their hero back. Yeah, can we go back to speaking of the runabout and they put O'Brien in the runabout and Kira gives O'Brien like a stern talking to like we either succeed or we don't come back at all because <laughs> O'Brien has been in war. So he's a guy that Cisco feels OK sending to go yeah. into this very risky mission. And then O'Brien, without betting an eye, says, OK, I'm OK. We might die if we don't succeed in this mission. No mention of the family, the wife and kid that he has back that did ring a little false to me too like why like oh wait no i don't care if this goes south or not i still have to come back to my kid who's like three years old i gotta say through this whole show and this is maybe the first episode but they do this a lot in this series where o'brien for some reason he is he was the transporter guy on next generation he is the total ship engineer on this show but for some reason somewhere in his past there's like a black ops wet works file that makes him up for any option where he has to go do dirty work yeah. all the time yeah. like and i don't understand like they never they never fully explain or you know i guess that o'brien was in the shit yeah <laughs> and uh, he was in the ship. He was an enlisted guy. He wasn't an officer that got to fly above the fray. In yeah, the back. I get it. But when did the Federation get in the shit? Like, when have they ever had like a land exactly. war? When did they? They had some problems with the Cardassians because that's the shit that O'Brien had to be in was with yeah. Cardassians particularly, and he knows how they treat their yeah, prisoners. Yeah, because he said I, I saw what the Cardassians do to their prisoners, and even even going back into I, I think even going back to Next Generation when you go back to the first. Uh, Michelle Forbes showing up as uh, Ensign. He has a scene, I feel like, maybe I'm misremembering, where he talks about how he was in the war in Cardassia or something. Oh, yeah. I might be wrong that it was in that episode, but I feel like they even set up maybe when they knew they were going to move him to DS9, they threw something in about that. Oh, really? Like he was in the shit? Yeah. Well, it's definitely in his backstory that he's got all this stuff, but it's like whenever they need, they call him in to like, kill people it's a tough mission we right. need, we're gonna need one of our toughest guys let's send the guy that worked on the transporter right well he was an enlisted guy and you know they train you when you go into the army they train you in a tech skill right so maybe that's where he learned his stuff yeah yeah no i know but yeah that's definitely <laughs> yeah i guess so so i mean he's he's a tough cat i mean and i like that and i think it's to make him more useful because Star Trek, uh, Star Trek Next Generation was constantly moving. So the engine was always an issue. And so Jordy always had something to do. Scotty always had something to do. Uh, 
where you have this fixed station right. unless something breaks and he's got to like he becomes the super he is the super of, <laughs> you yes, know, he of is. deep space nine he's got a key ring with like 2000 keys on it <laughs> And it's hard to fit the super into all of your stories yeah. about complicated right. political situations. So they have to find ways to give him new things. So. so make your super a secret badass is what you're saying. Yes. 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 Here's the thing. What if this? What if he has seen some shit and he <laughs> is a total badass? And as a reward, he was given the easiest, cushiest job on the flag Federation flagship. Oh. And that's why he was just pushing buttons in a transporter room. That's like he was supposed to be on Easy Street for, for the rest of his right. life. That was his, that's his dream job. It's like, oh, right. after what I've seen, just to push transporter buttons all day. Sounds- so he's like a Hawkeye. He's in the Avengers-like character. He did so much that like he got this cushy life for himself set up basically by the Federation to pay it as like to as like an honorarium for all of the... All of the being in the shit that he was in. Right. Isn't that more interesting than whatever <laughs> I like that narrative. You know, set dressing he was when we first saw him. Sure. Yes, exactly. So there you go. This is also the first time in this episode that we see Bashir. Thirty minutes in. <laughs> right. Yes. Oh yeah. When they bring Which yeah. is fine. <laughs> and he yeah. literally he literally could have been anybody. Right. Right. He has a scene yeah. and a half. They show him he gets to uh shine a light on the brand that Court got. That's his first scene, right? Now he checks out mm. the prisoner. He checks out the prisoner. Yeah, he like, checks gives out Lee right? The mm-hmm. right is that before or after Court gets branded? That's before because Lee Nallis was at the branding. That's what made him want to uh, jump ship. Uh, okay, yeah, you're right. Oh, we got terrorists and Bajor. Fuck that! I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. going to the Gamma Quadrant. And the open the circle sign is the same cock and balls I saw in the storyteller. <laughs> <laughs> you're seeing cock and balls everywhere, man. Yeah, I don't know what that says about me, but uh, oh well. <laughs> Can't get it out of my head. <laughs> and I'm at this point. I, it occurred to me in the show after watching the scene with Goldicott and everything that um, I, I'm 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 going to call it. Kira is fixed. All of her acting problems, all of that stuff is fixed. Yeah, she's pretty good. Yeah, she's great. Her base level is just fine. So I'm leaving it alone. She, I mean, I'm not only that. I mean, it's fixed. It's over. She's, she's, yeah, yeah. She's uh, her like uh, when Quark is like, oh, am I? What do I still look okay? Her little backhanded, you're as handsome as ever, Quark or whatever. Yeah, like, <laughs> that was a good delivery. So yeah, I got no problem with her right now. Yeah, and, you know, no. and they've really fi- they fixed O'Brien too because here he's resourceful and brave, mm-hmm. which is pretty much that's some characterization that you that we didn't have from him from before yeah you know what i mean yeah he had thought about how to fix the runabout so it wouldn't be detected and he volunteered mm-hmm. for this mission that he's got no skin in the game mm-hmm. did he volunteer or did cisco say hey you go but he, well, he's I happy think, enough well, to i don't go, think I he volunteered but i think he he did it willingly i mean he's he had that little line he made himself to know that he was open for anything yeah, yeah right yeah. yeah so i mean he's brave and he's resourceful i mean if we could have seen some of that in in season one, it would have been a little bit easier to to bear with. Yeah, I like the O'Brien I have in my brain more than I saw the than in season one. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I, I mean, I want to argue that he's there in season one, but then he's not. You go to like the storyteller, and he's just like, "What? Wow, mm. I don't want to do this," you know? Yeah, or, or yeah. babble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, everybody's bad in babble. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, there is. In Cole Meany's defense, there's only so much that an actor could bring to a bad story. Sure, right. And I think that that season one was suffering from that. And we saw Avery Brooks struggle mightily under some of these stories. Oh yeah. And yeah. I, I think none of us are willing to like sort of chafe his chops. 
Yeah, I know, maybe. But like, I, you know, <laughs> he's good, man. I don't understand your deal. You know, here we are. The fir- we're in the first episode of season two, and we still don't know if the doctor is really any good at his job. <laughs> no. You know, we just know. know that he's. We just know that he's adequate. He's nothing special, you know. Yeah, yeah. He can rub the whatever pin, the laser pin over your injuries just <laughs> yeah. as well as any other buddy, any right. else can. Actually, when his first appearance, I remember now in this episode, he's outstaged by the amazing 90s hairdo of his aide. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she's got such a like little, I don't know, bun or whatever she's done with her hair. It's like quintessential 90s hairstyle. Clearly, they tell all the Bajorans to do their hair before they arrive on set. <laughs> yeah. Just do your own hair and arrive on set and we'll put your nose on. That's <laughs> right. clearly what they tell them because like there was some kink, <laughs> there was some kinked out activator perps all over the show. <laughs> and like, like when Lee Nallis looks out over the whole set of Bajorans and it looks so early 90s out there. Yeah. Like they should have just been in like flannels. <laughs> like, like, right. So like, yeah, it was uh, it was it was funny. It was funny to me. So it turns out that Bajor for Bajorans isn't all it's cracked up to be. And neither is our hero. Yeah. He confesses to Cisco that he's that he shot a naked gull. Which sets up another big theme that they use. He basically is a legend among his people, but it's just by accident and that he really wants nothing to do with it. Yeah. And if that's if I remember correct, that's something this script was written by Iris Stephen Bear, who uh, I'm 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 working myself up into a lather to hate. Um, That's basically (laughs) something that they just stole from a man who shot Liberty Valance, right? Yes. Isn't that the story for Man of Liber- Man Who Shot Liberty Valance? I think I think you're right. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that it's just that's... a mistake and that the legend is a big yeah. So but I mean it's great here. I love it here. And you know I'll 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 bash Iris Stephen Bear on another episode. This one's good. And um <laughs> uh yeah. Uh we uh that I think he tries to sneak off and run away from the from Bajor basically and uh, a reptilian. Well, I think that the... you know that there's something wrong with him the whole time. That yeah. he's not acting like I mean, the hero that well, he yeah, was. He's sort telegraphing of that the whole time. <laughs> yeah, and so right. like you know, he's acting like a weirdo, like in like in you, the, any number of ways it could have went. But it was basically just that he's he he's not interested in this. He said that you know he just wants right. I mean, he's a good person. Yeah, he's like I didn't you know like I I stumbled into this. I'm not equipped to deal with it. I don't, and and you know what? I let them talk about how great I was for years. The war's over now. Just let me go, please. Yeah. And so he tries to run away, and they're like, "You're not done yet." Mm-hmm. It's, you know. And so Cisco talks him into uh, taking uh, taking the big action and 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 actually helping the people. Um, one of the things I, I want to point out is like, when has that ever worked? Like, I'm trying to think. Like, I don't like. I I get that that's a thing. Is someone can be a symbol. That seems like something in stories that exist. But I know that Lincoln was like a symbol of reconciliation after uh, the Civil War. But Lincoln was dead. So like, I don't like. I, I'm trying to think of like a living example to where you know. But he's inevitably going to get, and he is. I mean, I assume by the next two episodes he gets drugged into the shit. But ne- any sort of symbol of a of 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 a people like that is inevitably going to get drawn into political politics that are above their control and get just ruined. Right. You know, yeah, so even, I, even George Washington was, I think that's, you know, George Washington was a symbol. Yeah. Yeah. He was appalled by the partisanship that was, you know, developing 
yeah, you know, he might, in the country. Yeah, That's a good See, point. But, he might have been the best thing because he was a war hero. And then 10 years later, they asked him to be president. So 10 years after the war, they asked him to be president. And so he was sort of a – but I, I don't th- – I mean, I think that he, he wasn't as innocent. I mean, yeah, maybe he was. Maybe George Washington is the best example that they're looking for him. Well, I think – the, the, like I like I said over a few times already, this is setting up themes that almost have already been established in the series, and it's not even not. I think it's even less a political illusion. It, it is that in this instance, but then later on, I won't go into too much spoilers. They do the same thing with the Klingon religion, yeah, where this big legend is maybe uh, not what you thought it was, but it's a symbol to the, people. The sword of Kalis. <laughs> Yeah, 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 exactly. Kalis, I won't go into Mm -hmm. more spoilers about that, but I deal with these kind of things before. And and to mirror the first episode of the first season, it's the same thing with Cisco, where he's the emissary. He gets pulled into this, uh, you know, issues with the prophets and the wormhole, and he doesn't want anything of it. He doesn't want to be a religious figure, but Kai Alpaca, Alpaca or whatever is, you know, kind of like, sorry, this is like the hand you're dealt and you have to make mm-hmm. something of it. And it's the same thing kind of with what they do with Kalis, you know, or yeah. Neil. Yeah. Maybe that's a thing maybe, and I'm trying to think that maybe this, this might actually almost be a generational issue. I mean, like Iris, even bear and the people who were running the show are of that sort of generation of people who still sort of looked for icons. Like, you know, they grew up in the era of John Kennedy and and people like that, where where we don't. I mean, you could say Obama was like this sort of scion, but that was for like eight months. I mean, you could say Obama was like this sort of scion, but that was for like eight months. Like after right. that, he became a politician to us, and so I think and like, like we're yeah. just more cynical. And so I think like. I think Cisco's wrong in trying to say, let me prop up this empty symbol to try oh, yeah. and help these people. I Most think it's definitely. better just to, like, disabuse these people of any of this bullshit and just make them go about the hard, compromising business of fixing their fucking planet. <laughs> like, See, that's that's an honest act. Uh, interestingly, that's like the humanist Star Trek classic perspective of these people need to put aside their religion that's kind of, yeah. you know humbling but then this kind of takes a different tack and says you know what people need their symbols uh, they need their legends and they need these things to believe in even if it's not the exact truth and fact of the history of how things happened people need this thing to believe in and because you're not going to disabuse these bajorans of their you know thoughts about the prophets and everything. But there's, like, two works where you get, like, I was trying to think of, like, I I know that uh, Graves of Wrath ends like this, and oddly enough, a a weird comparison, uh, The Dark Knight ends like this, where the people need a symbol. They need, you know, I'll be there. Whenever someone is struggling, I'll be there. Whenever there's a thing against the night, I'll be there. And I'm like, no, these people just need to, like, work hard. Like, and I'm not saying, like, like I not like a bootstraps thing, but like they just need to like confront these problems. Like they don't need a symbol. Right. They need like they do. They need, yeah, you're right. But they Will, need someone they? to counter because I mean, clearly they're setting up the Franklin Jelly character. We we haven't talked about yet. Clearly setting up the Franklin Jelly character to be like like a duplicitous motherfucker. 
And yeah, right. you don't hire Frank Langella unless you're looking for a duplicitous motherfucker. The guy played Skeletor for Christ Skeletor sake. and Richard Nixon. So, like, right. um, so you, you know, like you can't hire. You, so you need. They need. They don't need John Kennedy. They need the, the you know uh, another Frank Langella, like to combat him. And I, I think that that's probably a. That might be my worldview, but it seems like it's probably a generational thing where we we're more interested. In, in sort of fixing the problems instead of looking towards symbols and, yeah, and ideal, I mean, idealization. My, yeah, my argument is that you can't make everybody, you can't fix a whole planet of people. You got to use their things, you know, their need for That's symbols true. and find a symbol that can actually do what you need it to do. Yeah. And, and I mean, it helps it. Uh, yeah. The analyst is actually a good guy and not like a Trump or something. Yeah. And I can't, I, this is a, where. Uh, I you know we I feel like with uh, Bajorans we're dealing uh, with Jewish issues um, and I can't remember the sort of main symbol of uh, Israeli Zionism um, the the founding guy yeah, I can't really remember uh... yeah I, I I know it and I know it's a per- person and I can't remember I know that he's used like that uh, to Israelis as like a symbol of a man who was a you know, it was an ideal man mm-hmm. who who led a thing. I know that in France, after in rebuilding after World War II, Charles de Gaulle worked that way. Right. Um, I guess so. I just you know, uh, Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, that's why it hurts when we hear, you know, that Martin Luther King was political and and compromised and sinful in ways and stuff like that. That that sort of chisels at his symbol. We don't think right. of him as a political. I mean, he was a religious leader, but he was also a political leader, and and oh, I totally. th- yeah, 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 and I think that if we look at him as you know a person who was engaging people on based on politics and issues, we don't need him to be perfect, you know, right? But if he's a symbol of of the best that you know we could be and that racial harmony, and then I have a dream, and if he's a symbol of all that, then he has to be perfect, or it all falls apart. So, right. So I guess I'm saying that I disagree with it in the story, but like I think that it's interesting that the story is going there. I don't think it's yeah. like I think it's I'm compelled by it. Um, yeah, and I don't know. Are we perhaps better now? Better? I mean, that's your argument. It's a generational thing that we're better now prepared to know that our heroes and legends aren't yes. perfect mm-hmm. than we were actually even when you know uh well i'm not yeah I well but i mean like okay person. but like let's say that like you know fdr was having tons of affairs all of the time openly in front of the press and the press wouldn't report on it because that would hurt the nation and there's no way that if Obama was doing that right now, that the press wouldn't report on it because reporting on it would hurt the nation. They would view that he needs to answer for his own, you know, for his own iniquity. Yeah, like, and we're grown no, ups, we'll, so we can we'll handle stories, it. even though we're pretty sure five <laughs> people didn't want to sleep with Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz yeah. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, that I think it was a different time where people, you know, generationally, people are earlier generation, younger generations and or older generations than us. Um, put stock more stock in that just generally in culture uh mm-hmm. and then we do and i and it seems like the bajorans are there so i'm fine with that yeah is that because we're a less religious culture <sighs> i don't know that that's I, well that's i think probably that maybe it's, it's probably <laughs> that we're a less spiritual culture maybe, maybe not a maybe not when it comes to actual religion when it actually comes to like you know but just that i don't think we put 
large chunks of faith in things, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it's because it's been chipped away at. By, yeah. Like, we've seen what happens when you put large chunks of faith in into, you know, mm-hmm. people in power. I mean, we don't have any illusions about that as a, as a generational. Yeah. So, I mean. I don't anybody, know. How do you think people would deal if it came out that, like, Obama was having all these affairs? Um, well, we did the, that with Clinton. We did I mean, that. We did it. We went through that when Clinton. Yeah, but I even. Mean, I don't know. I, well, I, I felt yeah. like we hated Clinton for six months. But and then Clinton we got was over. less aspirational than Obama is even. even uh, though he was to an extent with his. No dad. No yeah, I mean, I, th- I I feel like Obama was an aspirational figure in 2008, and I feel like he'll be an aspirational figure, figure probably for the rest of his life. But I think his, oh, yeah. he's governed as a president in a pretty hard text sort of uh, war of attrition kind of brutal politician. And I think that's why yeah. a lot of us feel betrayed by it, because no one likes to see the sausage made. And he's right. Mm-hmm. He's had a presidency of sausage making. So like, but I think that that was the cards that were dealt with him. That was the only way he was going to move the ball forward. And, sure, and, sure, and sure. I think that I'm I, maybe I'm maybe it's me. Maybe I'm cynical enough that I can see that and it doesn't bother me. I'm like, yeah, be yeah. aspirational when it works for when it works for you. And then uh, and then, you know, be be war of attrition, you know. Mealy, you know, be all of that stuff. Like, for instance, like when Obama says that, uh, you know, in 2008, 2009, Obama said that he believed that marriage belonged between a man and a woman. He said it many times. And every time I heard it, I didn't believe he meant it. And and I was sure. and I was fine Yo, with we it. We were getting real <laughs> heavy with the Star Trek podcast, aren't we? <laughs> and I, and I and, well, I'm just saying that, like, and I, I felt it, and I meant it. Uh, he he didn't mean it, and I. I was fine with that because that wasn't yeah. what that wouldn't have helped him. And then when it where are right wing listeners at, we want to hear from you. <laughs> Tell us about why Bezos should be great again. But I'm just saying that that was a political tact. I guess what I'm trying to let's bring it back into this episode that that was a political decision that he was making, and I was cynically fine with it. And so, and I feel like this show is kind of cynical, but then sometimes it deals with. Uh, you know, like there's a certain type of person that believes in symbols and believes in sort of institutions and people and, you know, that would view that as a lie. <laughs> and that even if they're pro, they wanted him to be for marriage equality, him lying about it politically. sort of I don't know. And, and I feel like that that's sort of that two schools of thought of how to deal with that. Uh, sort of that sort of politics. And I think that the sure. good thing about this show is that it's dealing with this kind of stuff. Obviously, Cardassia is being complicit in their, you know, they wanted to torture Bajorans. And then when they got caught, they wanted to disavow that. And right. how that they, you know, it was politically advantageous to say, oh, no, you were perfectly fine to invade one of our planets and steal people and kill Cardassians. We are totally fine with it. Instead of starting a yeah. war. So, I mean, I, I think. You know, that, that kind of political calculation is a part of the show, and I mean, it's, it's the part that's most intriguing to me. That and Frank Langella. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I never well, noticed how Frank much Langella he like Christopher touches Lee to upon me. that in, in whenever he has that conversation with Kira. He <laughs> says, um, you know, as, you know, your superior or whatever, I will end your military career if you ever do that again. As a private citizen, I want to thank you for bringing yeah. him back. Mm-hmm. That what you were talking about, that duality with what's what you could say politically and what you could say 
but it's just two people being people, mm-hmm. you know, that was, that's there in that episode. Oh yeah. And like in that the, scene. And that how, like even the duplicitousness of promoting her as a way of firing her. <laughs> I okay. Feel like well now we're of, getting into wait, the wait, end. Do, which, do they promote her or did they just, they didn't, did I don't think they promoted her. They just said she's no longer needed. She oh, gets to go I, back to I let the thing click to the next episode, so that's the next scene. Uh-huh. But his, I'm, oh, okay. so I'm, I, that's my confusion. The first scene of the next episode says that it was, uh, it was he he views it as he was promoting her. He can't be mad. He, sure. Cisco can't be mad for promoting her. But yeah, that she's being reassigned, and right. uh, as a way of Lee Nellis is the Navark now. Yeah, whatever that means. Which is a word they made up. <laughs> Oh, that's you know, right. Even though when they yeah. first say it, they're like, oh, congratulations. It, we just made that up. Well, how do you know what that means? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it was a made-up word to them. Like, it's not just techno about <laughs> It must mean something in Bajoran, like, really great dude. Yeah, it's uh, it's translated from the old Bajoran. Um, <laughs> yeah. So so, we, oh, I'm sorry. You? No, I'm just heading to the end of this, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got our hero. He doesn't want to be a hero. They make up a, a new term for him. They give him a position in the, what is it? Provisional government. Yeah. And yeah. the episode ends with Frank Langella bringing him back on DS9 and making him the first officer on DS9 and <laughs> getting rid of Kira, right? Yeah. All right, and we're left with a yeah. we're we're left with a cliffhanger. Yeah, which uh, it seems yeah. like at this point, I like that it was, uh, and I think they they tried to deal with it, but it's that Avery Brooks, uh, oh, all of your all of your slick maneuvering really fucked you up on this because now you're left with this jackass. <laughs> it's like, yeah. mm-hmm. and it was. I mean, it's really clever. You put him on DS9 where he can't be on Bajor. I mean, I mean, I, I assume that politically, that's the weeds. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah like yeah. oh he's this symbol, but now we don't have to worry about yeah, him. We can just use space. him as a symbol for what we want because mm-hmm. he's not really actually doing right. anything, and nobody really has to see him. They just know he's there. Yeah. And meanwhile, you've got a first officer who's not comfortable unless he's shitting in a hole because that's all he's a bit used to. <laughs> yes. Right? He's still. He, you got a first officer who's right? not shit. comfortable with indoor plumbing. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, yeah, that's where they leave this episode. Well, this, yeah. is, this was a pretty tight episode, guys. So what do you think you guys would change? Not much here. Well, that's huh? what I was going to say. Yeah, like this is the first two-parter, and it's the DS9 that we remember of these grand arcs. Mm-hmm. Like Next Generation has had these two be continued, but like, oh, this is really second season starting out good, setting up like what we want from a DS9. It's to be continued, but this pretty it sits by itself pretty well, except for that one hook at the end, which is yeah. a great way to keep you coming back for the next week. Yeah, you know, I mean, you like to, I was, you're not missing out. I would quibble about like, like if this was a complete episode, I would say like I don't understand why they didn't do something more with the ROM six to you, six to me, one to you scene with Quark. Oh yeah, but like I don't know. Maybe that's a long, you know. Maybe they're gonna go back to that over the next three episodes, two episodes. So I don't know. So like I'm I, gonna guess they don't. I don't know, but they, it'd be interesting if they do. I just feel like that's like just their first episode back. We're setting up the relationship. That may be what color. it is, and that and then I, and with that, I'm fine. So like, no, I mean, I'm I'm really bottom barreling here. Um, yeah, everybody was fine. The storyline uh, is really really intriguing. This is a uh, 
There's only one thing that didn't ring true that I would have changed. It's um, at the beginning, whenever Kira brings the earring to Cisco and then describes the fact, you know, had uh, Dax run a bunch of tests. She tells Cisco that Dax ran a bunch of tests on the earring. Mm-hmm. And then the next scene, Cisco beats around the bush about, and then Dax is like, "Yeah, I know." And he's like, "How do you know?" Like, I just I wrote Kira, that down. Kira just told you how she, she knew. She ran a bunch of tests on a earring. You know, mm-hmm. she's. Everybody knows that Kira. Kira's so amped up about all this. She's gonna give everybody who helps her out with finding out if it's authentic or not. Or she's mm-hmm. gonna give everybody the, the the story. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. So, I mean, yeah. I don't know. That, no, I it's, agree. it's a small thing, things. but yeah, that's yeah. worth noting. And I would have changed the one thing I like the O'Brien not really mentioning his wife or child <laughs> right. and being okay with not coming back seems a little like just throw in a line or two is like something. And like, I know you have your kid. Are you up to this? Like, hey, look, I'll be all right. That's all you needed. That's yeah. It. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, yeah. that's the thing. It's a, it's a, I mean, a military. a military engineer is not the same as a wet works guy. Like, I believe that like the, American sniper, whatever that guy's name is, you know, he's got a wife and kids, but when he went into the shit, he knew he's, he could not come back. But I don't think the guys who work on the plane engines feel that way when they do a tour. You always know that yeah, in that, general, that, you that, can that's get a great. Point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you feel like in general, you could die because you're in, you're adjacent to a war zone, but generally you feel more insulated in that your life isn't on the line on a day to day basis. And that is a different yeah. mindset and that is a different soldier. So, I think, but you know what? As a as a Starfleet guy, like Kira might be fucked if she got caught, but like they'd probably be pretty wary to kill a Starfleet guy. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, I think that what she was saying was that if she was going balls to the wall, like anything right, to get exactly. him free. So, so she was. It would be a shitty thing for him to say. Yeah, you're, you're willing to die to come back, yeah. but hey, they're. They're going to take me as a prisoner, yeah. so I'm yeah, yeah, flying free, baby. Yeah, that, that he goes, yeah, and that's true. Um, <laughs> She's not going to do that. In my research for this episode, I read I read that Frank. Uh, not only did Frank Langella have sex with both Whoopi Goldberg and Barbara Walters, so he slept with two uh, cast members of The View, but. <laughs> <laughs> he has slept. This is the important. He has slept. Trivia yeah, facts you we put need. this on there. He slept with Rita Hayworth, who was forty years his senior. Brooke Astor, oh. who was like a thousand years old. He had phone sex. But he was like a cougar bait for like a long time in Hollywood. And he wrote like his biography where he wrote all this stuff. So uh, May West. How about I don't. Her? I think she may have been dead by the time he was. Out and I was about. like, oh, she, Rita Hayworth, which she after. Yeah. she wouldn't go after that. So he his you know, early career they, was a lot of sleeping with really old ladies. Okay, <laughs> that's May West would hear he slept with Rita Hayworth and demand that he sleep with her. Probably. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> and he got an Oscar nomination like what four years ago, five years ago. So like he's a late. Bloomer, as far as success goes, so I mean, this is a Oscar nominee, not a winner. But I mean, yeah, yeah no, he he's had a great career. I mean, I, I just I like this guy a lot. So sure. he was great as Skeletor in yeah. <laughs> Masters of the Universe. Watch it, man. <laughs> All right, uh, yeah, I'll get right on that. <laughs> uh, I think we're good. Uh, we got anything else? We'll have more next week. The same story. <laughs> all right <laughs> all right then that wraps it up follow us and like us and do all the other 
shit. Yes. You know, you know what to do. And if you like us, uh, <laughs> please uh, review us on uh, iTunes. It really helps us out. Yeah, it does. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I would appreciate it. Yes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> So we're going to let you in on a little bit of how the sausage is made. Wade tells me that I have to do this. He's really mean. And he says that I have to do this episode because I had the worst liberal takes in the world on this episode. And so I have to do it just to eat shit on how kind of a dumb liberal I was in this episode. <laughs> like, there's a lot that's to be said for, I mean, I think that, I actually think the episodes for this story arc are actually pretty good. It is the first Iris Stephen Bear, not the first, but this is a, just another one of the things that we became a big motif on Iris Stephen Bear's uh, written episodes is they're basically just another movie. So I think we said he went to Blockbuster for story ideas. And this is clearly The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, which is, I guess, an original movie about legends versus reality and, and what serves legendary figure statuses serve versus the reality of what they do. And does it matter if great men did not do the great things that are attributed to them doesn't even matter and the idea of the story or the lie is is more powerful and moving i mean this is a pretty common story like we said it's the man who shot liberty Valance. it's a big western at the time a lot of these episodes are built on around western old western stories and movies where i disagree with my own self and as as what i had to say in these episodes is that i tend to talk a lot about the lies we tell or the rules we bend for good and does it really matter? And I specifically talk about uh, Barack Obama's resistance to gay marriage early on, not because personal animosity towards gay marriage, but because of a political expediency. And that he was always sort of telegraphing that. And I, I, at least I say he was telegraphing that in a way where it was clear how he truly felt. But, you know, if you, were, if you knew what you were looking at and you were paying attention, it was clear to what he was saying. I just fundamentally disagree with my opinions that i stated like the last four years have, have well i mean shit you guys if you've listened to us you've been here you know i think i disagree with that i think that um being honest and i don't just mean that in like you know never telling a lie but like being honest about who you are and what you believe has an effect that you you won't see like the movements aren't sort of galvanized by compromises they're they're sort of killed by compromises um, and I think that that's where we are in this, definitely that's where they were when this show was going, is that we wanted to tackle the big problems of society and compromise so we can neutralize them and get rid of them. Remember, the show was made at the end of history, before history started back up, two years after it went off the air. You know, so you have this little pocket where we felt like the only things that we had were minor disagreements, d disagreements that we will get over. Mostly, honestly, I think that, like, even the most liberal people at the time thought that a lot of people would get over it, but just, let's let's get it to a place where we can shut up about it. And I think that a lot of the Bajor plotline is a lot of this Federation telling Bajor they gotta get over it. You know, you're entering into a new phase of the hard work of statecraft and get over it. Therefore, someone like Lee Nallis, a, a lion, you know, or someone who lied and got it, I mean, lie, but through... You know, being a normal person and acting cowardly and getting a lucky break, he got a large amount of renown that he didn't deserve. And this show is sort of like, that has a purpose, you know, that society can be built on these empty gestures, I guess, I I guess is, is that where it is. And I think that, that was really indicative of sort of the really vomit politics of the 90s. And so I fundamentally disagree with that now. Uh... It was not cool that Obama played politics with people's lives and his reputation as someone who fought and gave a shit about 
gay people's social equality. And I don't mean that to be mean to him. I get that he had a nuanced opinion, and at the time, he, he was very much better than what he was running up against. So I get all of that complicated stuff. So I'm not, I was there. And I was for it. So, you know, I, I now see that it just doesn't build a movement of progress. It, it neutralizes a movement of progress, these kinds of things. So... I disagree with this episode, I disagree with these things, and I just, I guess that's what I wanted to say for the record, but this is sort of a, you know, if we're supposed to sort of wistfully look back on our time as ROAs, that's one of the things that I'll say, is that I feel that this is, if, if you want to say that the, 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 that we have a story arc over the course of the show, and it's the, the sort of depressing black-pilledness, I think as one reviewer said it on iTunes. This is a key episode. This is one of those the way we were sort of montages. And definitely I har I harbor almost none of the same political opinions as I do now. Obviously I was on the left then and I'm on the left now, so it's not like I've become like a right wing chud or some shit, but like I don't know. I I, I disagree with me now. But I had a good time. Uh and I'm sorry this is late. It's hundred percent my fault. Thank you. Please follow us, send us an email, review and follow us. Please follow us, it means the world, we will love you forever. We love you. I take back everything I've said before. That wasn't me. You can hear the difference, right? Wow, desperate very much. I mean, that's just, it's just sad, right? I'm not long for this world. None of us is long for this world. Love each other. I mean, like, fuck, get off the cross, right? Yeah. Okay, well, bye.